Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hey there, welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. Back for another episode. It is Wednesday, February the 24th, 11.22 a.m. Central Time. Happy to speak with you guys again. Um, As you can see, I have still not moved this podcast Tuesday yet. Uh, Maybe after the basketball season. It just seems to fall best on Wednesdays, so I'm just kind of stuck with that. Um, Obviously, huge, huge week for Iowa men's basketball. Uh, Hawkeyes tomorrow, February the 25th, will be at Michigan. Uh, That's an ESPN game, I believe, with Dick Vitale again. Uh, That's a 6 p.m. Central Time tip. Um, And then Sunday uh, at Ohio State, uh, a team it lost to at home uh, earlier in the season after holding a second-half lead. Uh, Michigan ranked third in the country, Ohio State fourth in the country, Iowa ninth in the country. Just an enormous week for Iowa basketball. I don't think it necessarily will define the season, but it could. If Iowa wins these two games and gets on a run here, even splits, I think, is uh, you call that a, a victory. Um, and if you're looking for, you know, maybe reasons why Iowa didn't big, win the Big Ten, it won't because it, it'd be because it didn't win these games necessarily. Maybe the Michigan game more than the Ohio State game you could point to for that. But it's losing at Minnesota. Um, it's losing twice to Indiana. Um, those were the ones that, that stung the most. Uh, the, the loss to Ohio State was not at home, was not a, a bad loss, but the two to Indiana and the one to Minnesota were not good. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, uh, you know, and, and losing in Illinois is not bad either. Um, although Illinois is not playing as well as it was right now, it's, uh, it, it kind of had to eke out some, some wins, including against Nebraska. Uh, and then lost at Michigan State last night. So Michigan uh, is now three games clear of Illinois, I believe. Um, I think Michigan is one loss. Illinois now has four losses. Ohio State uh, and Iowa each have five losses. So uh, some jockeying for position there. Iowa's trying to stay in the top four to to receive that double bye uh, in the Big Ten tournament. So 
that's kind of uh, I think probably their their top goal right now is to get a double buy, go as far as you can, at least make it to Saturday for the first time in whatever fifteen years uh, of the Big Ten tournament, which is the semifinals, and then get a, a good seed in the NCAA tournament, and then break that Sweet Sixteen drought of uh, whatever that is twenty one years, twenty two years, I believe twenty two years, right? Ninety nine, yeah. Uh, math is hard sometimes, but uh, that's kind of where we are with Iowa men's basketball. The Iowa wrestling season uh, is over. Uh, Iowa went into quarantine with COVID issues and then came out. Wisconsin canceled, uh, basically had, uh, I don't know, lobbied's the right word, but, uh, you know, in conjunction with the Big Big Ten, they were not – they they were not comfortable with wrestling Iowa last Sunday, so that meet was postponed. So Iowa's uh, dual season is over. Um, it will not wrestle again until the Big Ten uh, wrestling championships and then the NCAA. So uh, it was named co-champion, regular season co-champion with Penn State yesterday. Uh, the the match or the duel between Penn State and Iowa uh, scheduled for this year was. Um, was postponed as well because of the COVID in Iowa. So unfortunate there, but hopefully, you know, the top prize is is making it to March and making it to uh, the NCAA, you know, the Big Ten and the NCAAs and winning those titles. So Iowa was still on track to do that. We'll see what it looks like coming off of the long layoff and uh, competition. Uh, kind of like starting the season again in Iowa, dominated at the beginning of the season. So no reason to think that, coming off of this pause that it won't be able to jump right back in and, uh, and be able to um, compete for the national big 10 and national championships. So um, something to keep an eye on there moving forward. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at there. Just kind of a, a I like to open these podcasts for, um, you know, uh, Iowa sports uh, update and uh, there's other items that you can find. Uh, that I may have not talked about. I try to just hit on the top, top uh, areas of interest for the majority of the listeners, the most of the listeners. And then I go into questions, which I will do. We had a late question. And again, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, Oh shit, I forgot to send in my question and are worried that you're going to forget it by next week when we record this podcast again, um, you can, you know, hit that HF, mail hashtag and tweet at me anytime during the week and I'll go back and look and I'll look to see you know which questions I've answered in the previous week and then start with the question the the first question that I that came after that last podcast was recorded and posted so uh e at mba underscore fan 2014 a regular contributor to the podcast asks how will missed games be factored in to the seedings in March Madness and specifically Iowa's seed? It doesn't look like Iowa's going to miss any games. So um, it will not have had any um, – it, it still has two weeks left, and who knows? I mean, it could, it could lose games there. But it's kind of like, uh, you know, with bowl games and, and what have you um, – you just have to, whoever's making these decisions, whatever committees or uh, entities are choosing uh, whatever it is, the, you know, the bowl games or 
uh, March Madness or even like I just talked about wrestling for Iowa. I mean, you're going to have Iowa wrestlers that didn't wrestle as much as the Penn State wrestlers or Ohio State or Michigan. Um, so you have to kind of just do the best you can to rank those wrestlers going into um, going into the postseason. And that's really what's going to happen here for um, for the Big Ten and, and around the country. I think for Iowa and everybody in the Big Ten, I think they've got Michigan scheduled to play 17 games. So it will have had three regular season games postponed because of its uh, COVID situation at Michigan. Uh, so as a result of that, um, it is going to go on winning percentage. So if, you know, Right now, I think Illinois is second place with four losses. Michigan has one loss. Illinois is going to play 20 games. Michigan's going to play 17 games. Um, I don't think it's going to be an issue because it's going to be clear that Michigan is the regular season champion based on just one loss compared to four for another team, even though there's a, a three-game gap there. Um, and, and that's just where we stand today. But um, – its winning percentage is going to be better than anybody else's winning percentage. And that's kind of how they're going to uh, determine a regular season champion and then seeding in the big 10 tournament. And then um, I would assume that the seeding for the NCAA tournament is similar to that as well, where it's going to be based on strength of schedule and winning percentages and things like that, because um, in most years, nationally you have teams that play a different number of games um at different points of the year you know whether or not it's playing an extra um exempt tournament at the beginning of the year and making it farther in that tournament or uh playing more games in your conference tournament there's often an uneven amount it's not like football where it's pretty much everybody plays those 12 regular season games in basketball it's usually um there are uneven numbers when it comes to game totals. So I think they'll probably just follow along that same pattern and look at metrics and, you know, um, the net rankings for the NC that the NCAA uses to uh, uh, grade or rate teams will be taken into account in terms of seeding and uh, you know, uh, matchups and things like that. So um, I, I don't think it's going to be, you know, hugely different than it's been in the past there will be some oddities based on um you know particularly in conferences like the big 10 where you have an uneven amount of games being played by some of the top teams in the conference but i think at the when they get to the end of it it's just going to be you know i don't think it'll be there's going to be any situation where people are crying you know, foul. This this is not fair, uh, which we saw more uh, at the end of the Big Ten football season with Ohio State not reaching that threshold of games, and then the Big Ten basically changing the rule to allow the Buckeyes to go to the Big Ten championship. I don't think it's we're looking at the same deal here because um, it's a Big Ten tournament in basketball. Everybody's invited, so. You know, yeah, maybe you can gripe that Michigan shouldn't be the top seed. But again, I think it's going to play out to the point where it's pretty clear that Michigan is the top team. And then seedings after that, I think most of the other teams have played all their games. So I don't think we're going to have too much of an uproar there. 
Appreciate the question, E, and we move on here to uh, Easy Cheese, and that's at Easy Cheese 09 as well. Uh, he is a um, frequent contributor. He or she is a frequent contributor to the podcast and has several questions today, and I will try to get to all these because we don't have a lot of uh, different questions. We just have a lot of questions from uh, the same uh, Twitter account. So, Either way, I don't care how we do this week to week in terms of the Mailbag Podcast. I'm going to answer whatever questions you guys send me uh, and do my best to give you uh, what I think is uh, my, well, not what I think, give you my opinion or if it's a more fact-based question, try to research it and give you the answers for that. But first question from Easy Cheese is, do you see Petrus being drafted? Um, and that's Spencer Petrus, the quarterback for Iowa. And I will cop out on this a little bit easy. I'm going to say to be determined. And I don't think that's too unfair, being as he's only had one season as a starter. Um, and if he's able to compete and hold the job for the next two years, you would hope that in doing so, he's improving along the way and developing along the way. And I think, and I've said this on this podcast and other podcasts and have written about this. Um, got, I think sometimes we um, get too caught up in what a guy looks like now and don't really uh, allow for them, you know, allow for him to, or her in case of a female athlete to improve in college. And there's a lot of growth that happens in college uh, for these kids that end up staying for their four or five years. Um, some are, you know, just naturally more naturally gifted and they can leave early college early and then develop more once they get into the pros, or at least that's what the hope is. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I think it's just still too early to say with Spencer Petrus for a lot of reasons. And we've been over them all, uh, you know, with the pandemic last year and, and the, uh, the lack of development time he was able to get. Um, and we just don't know what the quarterbacks behind him will be able to do if they're able to overtake him. I just want to give the kid the benefit of the doubt. I mean, the coaches obviously saw something in him that let them, led them to believe that he was the man for the job before last season and during the season. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's on Spencer to be able to, um, you know, take that, you know, confidence in him and build on it. And, and he's, uh, he's wired that way. And uh, I, I think his makeup is that he's going to do everything he can to be the best that he can be. Um, He's different, you know, he's wired different than Nate Stanley or C.J. Bethard or Jake Rudock, um, a little bit more laid back, but that doesn't, that's not an indictment of uh, his motivation. Uh, it's just kind of how he approaches things, I think, on a calmer level maybe. And, you know, there are all types of quarterbacks that succeed uh, through all levels of football with different personalities and, uh, you know, different traits. So I would not hold that against him. Uh, will he be drafted? I, that's a good question. Get back to me on that. Ask me that maybe, uh, <laughs> in a mailbag podcast after this season, and I will have a better idea. I just don't feel like I have enough, um, data or information to be able to make a projection on whether or not he'll be drafted. Nate Stanley was a seventh round draft choice 
three-year starter. So I think if you're Spencer, you hope to at least achieve that level, if not higher, and we'll kind of see. I think he has a skill set to play in the NFL in terms of throwing ability, um, size. Um, you know, the quarterback position, I think, is starting to – uh, trend towards more athletic quarterbacks that are able to move a little bit and uh, that is not his strength so he's going to have to rely even more on his arm strength uh, his his ability to uh, read the game read defenses uh, process information get through reads um, different things like that he's going to have to be even better at that you know moving forward here because you have to figure in two or three years when he when he comes out I guess it would be two years after this, right? Um, you know, he's going to – the game will probably have, have uh, evolved even more. So he's going to have to be able to, uh, to sharpen the skills and the abilities that he does have um, to show NFL teams that they can trust in his ability to uh, compete at the highest level. And I think that's to be determined. Uh, another question from Easy Cheese. With multiple assistants leaving, why didn't the receiver coach leave? He seems like the best assistant on the team to 180, that receiver room. Uh, Kelton Copeland has done an amazing job with the Iowa receiver rooms and rebuilt a receiver room, excuse me, and rebuilt that position. And um, uh, it'll be interesting to see what that group looks like next year without Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Marset. Um, I still think there's a lot of talent in that room. There's just a lot. Well, most of it's unproven beyond uh, Nico Regani and Tyrone Tracy Jr. Uh, I think Charlie Jones you would look at as a, as a guy who's got experience both at Buffalo and in the Iowa system. So he's probably your third guy. Max Cooper's back. He's had some experience. But you're going to need some of those younger guys to step up. But to your question, um, I, I don't know. I haven't talked to Kelton. I don't know if he was looking. Um, I don't know, you know, I guess he possibly still could leave. There's still been a lot of assistant coach movement uh, around the country. I've, I've noticed some this week. So I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could move on. Uh, maybe there wasn't a job that he liked. It didn't fit. Um, that, that's a, a huge part of this is what are the opportunities? Is the opportunity better than the one that I currently have? Um, you know, and then you make a judgment from there, just like every, any, you know, job, whatever profession any of us has chosen, it's a matter of, you know, what's the best job for me, risk, reward, uh, you do that plus and minuses checklist. And uh, I'm sure Kelton's doing that. I would not expect him to remain uh, at Iowa as the receivers coach for the next 20 years, though. I would think at some point here, he's going to want to move on and move up, uh, maybe to a coordinator's position, maybe a receivers coach in the NFL. Um, we'll have to see. Uh, Maybe he's, uh, you know, a head coach at a smaller school. You just never know kind of what the next, you know, step is going to be for these guys. Uh, you look at, you know, LeVar Woods or Phil Parker or um, – and Kellen Bell's a guy I'm not sure of. But you look at guys that are more likely to stay here. I don't know if I'd put Kelton in that, that um, category. I think he's a guy that's looking to move up a la Tim Polishek and Derek Foster. I think he's probably on that same path 
to moving up, but who knows? Maybe he likes it here enough. Maybe his family likes it here. Maybe they love the schools. Um, it's hard to know. Um, there are so many factors that go into this. So, um, But I do agree with you. He's done a tremendous job with that receiver room and uh, excited to see uh, the next guys that he's developing now come up and help the Hawkeyes hopefully win some more football games. Uh, easy Cheese again. Easy ask, what – are your two to three biggest questions or storylines going into fo next football season? Uh, defensive line for me, easy, is probably the biggest one just because you lose another three starters in Heflin, um, Davion Nixon, and, and Chauncey Golston. Those are three huge pieces from your defensive line. And I know this has kind of been the pattern here where I was losing, you know, three and four starters for, I think it's after the last – three seasons they've lost either three or four starters from the defensive line and you hope that um you know the development and the guys that are behind student athletes that are behind the guys that are moving on just step in as as has happened to this point i just have a feeling this group is a little bit younger greener needs to prove itself a little bit more than maybe some of the previous groups that had guys that were in the rotations previously there haven't the, the group that's coming back uh, outside of uh, Zach Van Valkenburg, uh, Noah Shannon's got some reps. Um, you know, Austin Schulte's another guy, another reserve from last year's team that uh, moved on. So, um, you know, it's going to – John Wagoner. There are guys, Joe Evans, there are guys that have had some reps and you hope that they're able to take the next step. And then beyond them, you need the younger guys, you know, um, across the board. Noah Shannon's one guy I think you need to have take the next step and uh, Logan Lee and Logan Jones, um, you know, um, the, the um, Yahweh Black, uh, who's the other uh, defensive end that I'm not thinking of now, Devontae Craig. Some of those guys really need to take steps forward this year and at least get into the rotation and be able to, to absorb some reps. Um, maybe not, maybe a year away from actually breaking out, but at least being able to solidify that position as a whole. Because I think at this point, Iowa's defensive line works best when it's playing six to eight players, if not more, uh, throughout a game to keep guys fresh. So to me, that is the biggest question mark. And then we talked about receiver. That's really for me. How do you replace Amir Smith, Marset, and Brandon Smith? I know those guys didn't have exceptional seasons this year, but those are guys that were. Um, uh, made up the scouting report for opponents and were had to be accounted for who are going to make big plays next year and who's going to be able to stretch the field a little bit more and open up the offense a little bit more. I think that's maybe the next, uh, you know, you're looking for the evolution of this offense to be better. It's going to be able to push the ball down the field a little bit more and not relying on underneath receivers. Not that you don't have to use those guys like a Nico Regani, but can Tyrone Tracy stretch the field a little bit more? Um, or do you continue to rely on tight ends and underneath routes? I think you need to be able to get, put the fear in defenses that you can push the ball down the field. So it'll be interesting to see kind of um, – what that development is like in Brian Ferentz's offense next year. But those are probably the two biggest ones for me, defensive line and wide receiver. Uh, Scott Document and I on the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast that records tomorrow on Thursdays 
uh, have been going through positions, and those two have kind of uh, jumped out at us. Linebacker's another one, but uh, I would say top of my list are receiver and defensive line, and then probably linebacker after that, and then some depth at running back as well. But typical for Iowa. I mean, it's a developmental program. You're going to lose guys. You're going to need guys to come up behind them. Um, and that's, that's probably the situation with mo- most programs in the country, not, you know, the top SEC schools or Clemson or schools like that, where you don't have ready-made recruits that come in and need development. Um, that's kind of where you're at when you're, uh, you know, more of a developmental program, which I think is more, um, uh, more the, uh, the rule than the exception. So uh, it's got a couple more here from Easy Cheese. Um, let's see here. What does football need to do to be equal or move past the Wisconsin and Penn State program? I would say, um, you know, beat Penn State last year, beat Wisconsin last season. It's not like there's an enormous gap there. I think it's more about consistency and winning at a consistently high level and pushing for championships. Uh, you look at Northwestern. Northwestern's won two of the last three West Division titles. Granted, this year was a little bit different uh, just because, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, the different amount of games that were being played. But um, Northwestern still came into Iowa City and won the football game. And that's that was the difference, really, uh, in this season between Iowa going to um, – going to the championship and not uh, going to the big 10 championship game and winning the West division and not. And that's kind of it. You've got to get over that hump of losing some games that you shouldn't lose and being consistent and winning the important games, winning the most important games, just because Iowa beat Wisconsin and Penn state this year, doesn't mean it will beat them next year. Um, But it needs to do that on a more frequent basis. It can't keep, it can't lose eight out of every 10 to Wisconsin in, you know, in the um, big 10 West and expect to win the division. It's gotta be, you know, chances are, you know, Northwestern, Minnesota, um, Wisconsin, Purdue to a degree. We'll see what happens with Illinois and Bielema. You need Nebraska. We'll see what goes on with that hot mess. But you you need to beat those teams in your division head-to-head. And most years you have to beat all of them to win the division. So that's really what it comes down to. I think I was pretty close with Wisconsin. Um, As I see its offense continue to evolve, you hope that that's what has to happen. Wisconsin knows who it is. It, it has a system on each side of the ball in special teams that it knows what it is, and that's going to be uh, what's up to Iowa. It's, I, I think you could say Iowa offensively, we still don't really know what it is and what the identity is. Um, you know, for years it was running the football and play action, and I think, you know, it ran the football better and more consistently last year. It has to keep doing that, but it also has to be able to push the ball down the field to open that up and have, you know, balance is one thing when you're saying, okay, this is how many runs we have, this is how many passes we have, but what are you doing yardage-wise and per play uh, – when you're when you're calling a run or a pass and all of those things come into to play and it's efficiency and Iowa's offense is is inefficient too often and that's what's hurt it in the past if it's efficient with a defense that's as dominant as it is year in and year out if it's efficient offensively and clean on special teams that's where you get to the level of Wisconsin and Penn State on a consistent basis but I would submit that Iowa's not far off from that uh 
from that level. I think it's right there. It's just a matter of doing it year in and year out. Um, last one from Easy Cheese. Appreciate these questions, Easy. Do you think the NFL guys do much or enough to give back to the Iowa program? If so, which ones? I think they do in varying degrees, Easy. It's a, it, you know, I, I think the, the, um, what allows them to, uh, I guess what I'm saying is they have their own lives. And the NFL, you know, the life of an NFL player is really busy it's you know it's a year-round job with training and you know pr preparations and then playing and taking care of yourself and then being with your family you know many of these guys have their own families and that's kind of it's their work which is the NFL and then their family is the, the rest of their time and then if they can I think there's more of a tendency for guys that have you know completed NFL careers or gone on to do other things and aren't playing professional football and maybe have some free time in their life. I think most guys are willing to help the program. It's just if they are able and have, you know, not only from a financial standpoint, but just from a, a time standpoint, be able to give back to the program. I, nobody really pops out in my mind. I mean, you, you look at the guys that are on this committee, the advisory committee that came out of the uh, racial bias uh, investigation from this summer. And that committee obviously is giving time uh, consistently. I think it's been about once a month uh, since the summer they meet with Kirk and uh, give back that way and try to, um, and, I, and I think that's as important as, you know, doing anything from a coaching standpoint is actually making sure that the lines of communication are open in that building after what we learned last summer. And these guys are trying to, you know, be able to be soundboards for current players, continue to advance this program forward in terms of inclusion and making sure everybody is treated fairly. Um, that's not babied, but treated fairly. And um, I think those are the guys, you know, guys that are caring about this program moving forward. I think that's as big a part as any, and, and maybe that's what you're referring to in terms of giving back um, uh, more than, uh, you know, maybe helping with coaching or things like that. But um, yeah, I think it's happening. Um, obviously, David Porter is the head of that uh, the advisory board committee. We don't know who the other guys are on there. Mike Daniels was going to, to do that, but he is in the NFL and he does have a family, you know, wife, kids, probably a lot harder for him to be able to uh, have the free time to, to dedicate to that. Um, but that doesn't mean he won't give back in the future. So um, I'll, say, I'll think about that a little bit more in terms of more names, but I, I think that advisory board committee and, you know, you look at it, you know, guys that work in the program, those are former Hawkeyes that really they're on the ground, so to speak. And those are guys that can affect the lives of the players that are in the building. So that's kind of where, how I would go with that one. So thank you for all those questions. Easy. I appreciate it. Please check back again uh, next week or beyond with more inquiries. And I'll be happy to uh, give you my best answers. Um, it's, as long as I've had enough coffee. Uh, Andy's always right. And Andy Paul rules one. Hey, Rob, what is your gut feeling on Joe Wieskamp coming back for his senior year? Personally, I'd like to see how the offense would run if Joe was the centerpiece. It's a really good question, Andy, and I've had, uh, I've had a, a, a few people ask me this um, beyond the podcast. 
and uh, I've kind of poked around. My gut feeling right now, based on people I've talked to, is that Joe is going to move on and play professional basketball. Um, obviously, the NBA is the goal, uh, making it there. And uh, I think he's improved his stock this year uh, with his ability to shoot the ball and show a little bit more consistency and, um, you know, a little bit more, I think, fieriness and just, I don't know, he, he, he's matured. He's maturing in a lot of ways that you want to see a player mature. And uh, a lot of times, I think as fans, we look at it and say, you know, he could benefit from coming back in next, another year. And, and there's truth to that. And I think if you look at the Tyler Cook case, um, I think that's certainly the case where he probably could have um, sharpened his skills and maybe and most likely taken steps forward with another year in college. But, you know, you only have a certain amount of miles um, on your body. And, you know, when you're in college, you're however you're, you know, you're, you know, taking a full load of classes um, or in graduate school, those are responsibilities. If you're going to play professional basketball, like Tyler Cook is doing now and congratulations, Congrats to TC. He was tearing it up in the G League, and the Nets signed him to a uh, arguably the best team in the NBA, the, New, the Brooklyn Nets. I almost said New Jersey. I'm old. Um, signed him to a 10-day contract. So awesome for him uh, to get a chance to play in Brooklyn. Um, so great to see. And um, but I think he would tell you that he made the right choice by coming out and. Um, um, you know, being, you know, being one of those guys that bounce, you know, the two-way guys right now, because I think that's how he feels like he's going to build his career. And if he would have come back for another year of college, sometimes the, 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 um, the shortcomings in your game get more magnified by they, you're, they, the pro scouts nitpick at your game a little bit more and expect even more of you because you're older whereas if they can get their hands on you at a younger age they feel like they can develop you and I think that's kind of where Joe is now um you know he went through the pre-draft process after his freshman year he did not do it this past year because of the pandemic and it really wasn't been beneficial for him and he has two times to do that I certainly would expect him to go through the pre-draft process this spring and Depending on what he hears there, I mean, there's always a chance he could come back. But I think right now the lean is for him to turn pro. Um, so if you look at it from that standpoint at Iowa's roster, and I won't go too deeply down this line because um, I, we may approach this more and uh, with with Scott and I on the on the Hotspot podcast. But um, you know, potential here is to lose Garza, Wieskamp, and Bohannon off of this year's team which makes the next year's team look a whole lot different. Um, but not, I, I still think there's a ton of talent coming back. But as you said, running the offense next year, you're talking about three of the main components that Iowa runs its offense through now uh, will have to be shifted to C.J. Frederick and Jack Nungy and Keegan Murray and, um, you know, Connor McCaffrey and the guys that are coming back. So be interesting to see how that shakes out. But if – if you were asking me right now to say what I, my gut feeling based on what I've heard and kind of what I've, I've learned, um, I would say that Joe Wieskamp moves on uh, to the, you know, makes himself available for the NBA draft um, and then, you know, takes his shot. And I do not, uh, 
I do not begrudge him that opportunity at all. Um, Daniel Schneider at Cosmo Doggy Dog asks, any update on Frederick's injury? I noticed that the bench didn't get many minutes versus PSU besides Keegan and Patrick. Was this due to injuries or trust? I was kind of surprised Dungey didn't get more time. Um, first question first, uh, CJ Frederick has plantar fasciitis. And uh, we've talked about this, uh, I don't know, on this podcast, but I know we've talked about it on the Hotspot podcast. Um, that is an injury that is literally day to day. You just don't know how you're going to feel day to day. I've had the injury and there are days where you feel great. And I'm, and I'm just talking, you know, regular um, quality of life for, for somebody like myself who is on a computer a lot of the day and then tries to move around as much as he can. Um, you know, and, and there are days where it's hard to walk. I don't have it now, but when I did have it, 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 it was hard to even move. It feels like somebody's sticking a knife into your heel uh, repeatedly, like stabbing you. Um, that, that was my experience anyway. And I, I've talked to others who have had a similar experience and that's what he's going through. So, you know, that's why when we, you know, we saw him play, then have to sit and then come back and play the last two games. I think he's getting better and learning how to manage it better, which is a good sign. He and the trainers figuring out what the best therapy is uh, game to game. He's not playing a lot in practice, so he's not putting a lot of uh, uh, wear and tear on it in that regard. So I think it's just kind of, you know, a process here of trying to figure out what works best for this injury. But it's also very unpredictable where to the point where he could get up tomorrow in Ann Arbor and it's just is killing him all day and he can't play. Um, and it's that unpredictable. You just don't know what's going on. It's basically um, the tendons in your foot just pulling apart. Um, and if that sounds painful, it's because it is. And think about having to do that, not only if you're just, you know, walking down the street, but if you're trying to cut and jump. And I did notice in the Penn State game, he got knocked to the floor. I, can't, I, I think it was in the first half he got knocked to the floor. And he got up and he was, he was hobbled. And uh, there were different times of the game where I could tell it was affecting him. Um, he's fighting through it. He's a tough kid. Uh, but uh, sometimes it, it gets to the point and it goes over that pain threshold where you just can't be effective. And I think he and Fran have kind of gotten to a point where they know, okay, if you can't help us, if you're a liability out there, if you're 50, 60%, there's no point in playing you over, you know, having, you know, moving guys up from, the, you know, in order of the rotation to take your spot. So I think it's going to be like that for the rest of the season, Daniel. I don't think that's going to change. It's, it's, uh, it's something he can treat in the off season. I think a little bit more uh, once he has more downtime to deal with it. Um, Jordan Bohanna went through this, I believe, when he was a sophomore uh, and played throughout the season with it, and it kind of affected him throughout the whole year. Then he was able to address it after the season. I think we're in that same position with CJ. Uh, and hopefully for Iowa and for all of us that, you know, um, root for this team to do well, we just hope he can play as much as possible um, and be as effective as possible and not compromised at all. And uh, we saw against Penn State how important he can be um, and that's just scoring. Uh, he's very efficient. He doesn't need a lot of shots to be effective. He passes the ball well. He doesn't turn the ball over. He plays good defense. He is just really a two-way, all-around solid player that makes Iowa a lot better. I think it's underrated how much better he makes Iowa. So appreciate the question, Daniel. Hopefully uh, that was uh, 
a good enough answer. <laughs> oh, let's see. Alec, uh, Alec Ahmed Johnson at Ahmed Johnson on Twitter asked, is the player of the year race between Garza and Io as close as some are making it out to be? Is it still Garza's to lose? Start with the second part of that question. I believe it is still Lucas to lose. Um, and there are a lot of components and views and, and you, you, you know, to, to try to predict how all the people that vote for the awards think is really hard to do. So you're trying to analyze something you can't analyze, basically. Um, it's more of a belief or a view of how you see it. Um, you know, there are people at Iowa that say, this is ridiculous that Iowa's even in this conversation. There are people at Illinois that say, what do you mean Garza's got it wrapped up there? You know, look at what Iowa's done. And for me, I try, I'm trying to be as objective as I can as somebody who sees Garza play night in and night out. See, I sees a lot of Iowa's games, uh, but not all. I was uh, shooting photos at a high school basketball game last night. I did not see the Michigan State game heard he struggled saw he was six of 18 from the floor um you know lucas had um some you know he, he had a difficult game at michigan state but um I, I think part of this is how people felt about this award coming into the season and that was that luca garza was the odds on heavy favorite based off of last year and if you look at that that makes a lot of sense that he would be take the next step this year and be uh, be able to be clear of, you know, Obi Toppin won some of those player of the years. And he would, he, I guess he was more of the consensus player of the year last year because he won more of the awards. Uh, but Luca did win some of the player of the year awards, including sporting news. And I think stadium and maybe ESPN, I can't remember, but um, Luca did win a lot of those awards last year. Um, and, and it just made sense that he, you know, if he kept doing what he was doing, which he has done this year, that he would be the guy. Io has given people something to think about. Illinois has been really good this year, although that loss last night did not help his case, neither as, for his team or for um, based on his performance. They lost the game by 10 to a team that Iowa beat twice who Iowa beat by 30 in East Lansing and Illinois loses at Michigan state. Um, and that affects it. I mean, Illinois has four wins and has a win head to head against Iowa. Uh, but I think Illinois still has to play at Michigan. Uh, so if it's able to lose that, uh, or if it ends up losing that and Iowa wins at Michigan, that's a factor. There are still games to be played. So um, I, I, it's hard for me to gauge you know, when, when you, and I, and I understand how you're asking this question. Is it close? Is it close? Is it, is it as close as some make it out to be? Um, I don't know who those some are and I don't know how close they feel it is. I think Luca has a, I don't want to even say decent. He has a lead right now. What that lead is, is hard to gauge. I think if he continue, if, if we continue on with the same path we're on now, he ends up winning it. But if IO goes off, Luca falls down a little bit here. Iowa loses all these these four games. Illinois wins the last their, its last three games. They're just you have to let the season play out. And I think it's close enough for Io to be able to win the award. That I will say that. So if that's too close for some people, then we probably disagree. 
Uh, but I still think there's a possibility that IO could win this award. And whoever wins the Big Ten award should be National Player of the Year. I will say that. I believe that uh, it's the by far the best conference in the country with the top players and top candidates for that award. So that's kind of where I uh, will fall on that. And I think, I believe that's all the questions that we have in the queue. I'll make sure I didn't miss any. Uh, nope, that's all of them. I wasn't sure, I'm not sure how long that podcast lasted, but hopefully uh, there's enough meat on that bone to entertain you guys on your drive home or whenever you choose to listen to it. Uh, appreciate all the questions as always. Uh, probably will be Wednesday again next week. Just kind of gotten into this pattern now and maybe we'll try to shift gears a little bit once we get uh, after the basketball season. But most likely we'll come back on uh, on. Uh, Wednesday of next week, which I believe is March the 3rd. Wow, we're getting into March Madness already. So hopefully uh, hopefully, good things for the Hawkeyes uh, on the hardwood and on the mats for us to talk about. And uh, again, I appreciate you guys' questions. I appreciate everyone who's listening to the podcast. Appreciate the support. And uh, we will talk to you guys again next week.